Hi, I'm Martin J. Weiss, uh, author of The Second Son and a new book coming out in January, Flamingo Cows. My name is William Searles. I am the author of The Crown Lord, which will be out on November 13th. Which is my birthday, Bill. Yeah. Happy birthday to you, Marty. That, and, and to your book. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just finished reading your book. And first of all, congratulations on a great read. And got lots of questions for you. And I think particularly with modern technology nowadays, a lot of people are terrified for privacy reasons. And after reading your book, um, I, I certainly think that uh, Stalker, which is the technology in the story, is going to raise a lot of eyebrows. It's just it's, it's so well done. I was interested how you came up with that idea. Right. Um, well, thank you. I, I, too, am fascinated with technology and, you know, how, how it keeps trying to make our lives easier and better. And I'm also really interested in, in how the, the technology industry is uh, – Spawning people to be so creative to find out new solutions uh, for, for those things. But it doesn't seem like anybody's thinking about the consequences. And we're, we're seeing a lot of that in like the big social media companies now and, and a lot of the, the backlash. Uh, so I, I took a technology. I took uh, two young entrepreneurs, twin brothers, and they had a tech company and, and, and created the ultimate transparency app, app called Stalker, uh, which could look into anybody, you know, kind of kind of jokingly uh anybody's you know ex-boyfriend girlfriend whatever um and when one of their lives go awry they have to use the technology themselves and it shows them not only the good things about what the, their their technology can do but also all the the things that that can happen so it, it is a a look at my concerns too about uh privacy and and how our lives are, are becoming um so weird because of it and how, how it really is becoming 1984 all over again and, and Big Brother's watching. Uh, absolutely. I mean, when I was reading it, I thought Stalker was literally the realization of everyone's worst nightmares in terms of, of privacy. You, right. mentioned, you mentioned his twin brothers, that are Ethan and Jack, and that started Stalker. And I think you did a, a fantastic job of showing that, if, if you know twins, that almost extrasensory bond identical twins sometimes have. But you also make it very clear that Ethan and Jack are very different people. Just curious, why why did you decide to write about twins? And can you share with listeners how that played into the title of the book? Yeah, the second son um, has a double meaning that that and one of the meanings you have to find out by getting to the end of the book. But um, the the twins, uh, the, the the idea of writing about twins, I'm kind of fascinated with them. And, and the book that I'm writing right now, I, I find myself uh, using twins again. Um, the, the idea originally came to me uh, based on my own children. I have a, a, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I, I'm always so fascinated with how different they are. And I, I, I sort of find that uh, with, you know, parents say that, uh, everybody who has kids says that. And the twins are the, are the ultimate uh, example of, of people assuming that they're the same, but they're, they're so different. And the other thing that um, was really interesting to me when I started the book was uh, inheritance law and promedenature law, especially in Europe, and what a big deal being first, second, or third born is. In, in some countries, uh, the firstborn is the only one who can inherit, inherit land. And so I used that uh, in the plot and thought it was interesting. Um, 
And another thing I, I had learned about uh, twins in my research is a lot of parents of twins don't tell them who was born first because of that, because of uh, the meaning of it. So I just, I just kind of found it interesting, but also as a metaphor for uh, our innate differences uh, by using the most genetically similar people. Do you, uh, do you have personal, personal experience with twins? Any relatives that are twins? No, I don't. I know a few sets of them, though. I have a few friends that are twins. It's interesting. I actually have twin sisters, but in terms of inheritance laws and stuff like that, I'm the youngest of six, so I'm not really sure where that puts me on the totem pole. You're getting nothing. I'm probably done like dinner. I like it. Um, you know, Mark, I read quite a bit, and The Second Son, it's, it's one of those books that when I have to put it down, you know, I normally get on with my daily routine, but when I get on with my daily routine, I find myself thinking about the book, ignoring my daily routine, and I went back to reading the book again. And for me, uh, like I said, I read quite a bit. You know, if I'm not into a book 30 pages into it, I'll, I'll put it down and go on to something else. But everything in this book, it was just the pace was phenomenal. It started fast. It kept getting faster. And, and good books always have a good, a good hook. But you seem to keep laying hook after hook after hook. And were these all planned in advance? Or did the book's characters, you being a writer, I know this will make sense, did the book's characters kind of take over for you and help you write it as you went along? It's a great question. You know, writers always talk about whether they write organically or if they're big plotters. Um, I do a little of both. And, and because I'm writing thrillers, they're so plot dependent. Um, I find that it's really important to know your ending or at least think you know your ending. And right. when I start out, things change. And I, I feel like if I try to write, if I write my first draft exactly the way my outline is, um, it, it's not going to be that surprising to anybody if I just if I just thought of it that way. And once you immerse yourself in the writing process, um, I find that I find all the the more interesting twists and turns, and as you you know said, the characters start speaking to you. Um, as I go along, as I'm as I'm really involved, and you know my daily routine, if I'm writing say five, six hours, I kind of burn out and I go do something else. And if I go to the gym or go running or something, ideas will just come to me when I'm not thinking about the book. And usually that's when my, my most interesting ideas come and say, wait a minute, what if they didn't do this and they did that? And that's how I think um, a, a thriller gets more interesting because it's not obvious to the readers because it wasn't obvious to the writer as he was going along. So at least at least that's been my experience so far. You said you wrote the ending first, or you knew where you were going with the ending? Uh, yes, although that changed as I was going to be my question. Yeah. I tried to write. <laughs> it I tried to write. And, and I had a lot of aha moments as I went along. So I, I do really believe that, that a story exists and the writer is just finding it. Absolutely. Agreed. I've, uh, I try to write my endings first, and I don't think I've stuck with my original ending at any time. Um, you've got another book coming out, Flamingo Coast. Um, yes. I hear I hear it involves financial crimes, which is something I have a little bit of personal experience with. Can you talk about that story? Sure. Yeah. Um, so so Flamingo Coast comes out in January, and it's it's about a an ex IRS agent who goes after uh, a Ponzi schemer or a Madoff like character that that got away and went to an island with no extradition laws. And when she gets there, she discovers a very large community of the biggest financial criminals in the world that are protected there. And she gets immersed. Nice, nice, nice. So, um, so that's the setup. 
you you are an award-winning filmmaker that now has a couple of novels under your belt. What to you would be the biggest difference between screenwriting and writing a book? That's another good question. The The story aspect is the same. Uh, the, the writing um, is very different in, in that writing a screenplay, uh, you, you eliminate most of the description and you try to keep it very sparse and it's mostly dialogue um, and, and left open for the director to interpret. And novel writing, uh, you fill it, you fill it all in, and you color. And that was my my real attraction to writing novels is that filmmaking uh, is such a collaborative thing that a lot you know you need so many people working together to 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 fill in all the the holes and, and color it all in. Whereas a novel, you can complete something from from soup to nuts. But it is a, a little bit different process. And screenwriting in itself jumps around a lot. And as you know, novel writing um, has rules of its own, especially when it comes to point of view and, and you know, however you're writing first person, third person, et cetera. It's, it seems like one of the golden rules of writing is show, don't tell. But, you know, going from a novel to a screenplay, you have to take into consideration how much is being seen on the, on the actual screen itself, what's being portrayed by the, the actor. So it seems like it's more dialogue driven. Does that make sense? It is, it, you know, and, and if you look at a screenplay, they, they look like it's almost, it looks like a, a play when you're, when you see it physically. And it seems like going from a, something I've got a little bit of experience with, uh, going from a novel to a screenplay, you've got to kill some babies along the way, I guess is the phrase. It, it has to be much, much more sparse because, uh, well, the, 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 the rule of thumb is um, it's a page per minute with a, a screenplay. So they're typically about 100 to 120 pages, whereas it is a novel can be, what, three, 400? Yeah, great. What a 400-page book would convert to historically, what, a three-and-a-half-hour movie? Something like that. What's that? Someone told me once a 400-page book verbatim would turn into a three-and-a-half or four-hour movie. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, that's, I don't think most people are going to be looking for uh, – for, uh, Maybe that's why everybody's doing TV series now. Yeah, break it up. No, no intermission is needed. Yeah. So so let's uh, let's switch this over uh, to your book called the, the your new book is called the the Crown Lord which um, uh, I love the concept uh, you know you you've imagined a world with what I, I guess we, I don't know if you call it race race reversal mm-hmm. um, I think it's a brilliant way to show how white people can experience the black experience and, and vice versa can you can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that. Sure. Um, well, as I said, I've got a little experience with uh, financial crimes, and I am a, actually a f- uh, former financial criminal that has spent a few years in federal prison. And when you get a, a suburban white boy, white collar criminal bunked with an African American inner city drug dealer, you know, things can happen. And, uh, you know, my bunkie's name was Eric, and he and I uh, initially conceded. You know, that society pretty much taught us all we really needed to know and that we had absolutely nothing in common, which really, at the end of the day, couldn't be any further from the truth. And in time, you know, we spent more time together. We became very good friends. And before I was released, I told him that if I ever made it as a writer, I would do my best to write a story that put the racial shoe on the other foot by creating uh, like a modern day Jim Crow South where whites were the minority. And while doing that, you know, I'm fully appreciative of the fact that a white man can never really ex- understand 
the oppression black people have experienced and continue to experience. But I did my best to point out, and I hope this makes sense, that though black and white people both live in this country, we really do live in two different worlds. Well, you know, as, as I was reading it, and, and as you just say that, it, it, it couldn't have come out in a more politically charged time right now. You know, people seem to can't see each other's points of view politically or otherwise. And so I think, uh, how do you think it'll resonate now? You know, because I think your timing is perfect. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I wrote the book for everyone. But, you know, really my, one of my goals was that I think a lot of people are instinctively threatened by people that are different than they are. And it's, I guess, my primary goal uh, was for people to learn to ignore one of the most obvious differences they could have with someone, that, that is skin color. Right. And in my experience, uh, you know, I think racism in general is something that unfortunately is learned. And if it can be learned, it's something that can be unlearned. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, once again, these, these things have been going on for a long, long time. But it's my hope that, it, you know, we can learn to ignore the differences we have, uh, you know, particularly the ones we can't help, like skin color. It would make it, you know, just so much easier for us to realize how much we truly have in common. And when we realize what we have in common, it opens up uh, you know, dialogue that, that can change the world. Are you optimistic? Or do, do you have any suggestions or did you come to any realizations writing the book about how we can solve our growing divisiveness in general? Um, you know, it's, it's an old saying and it may be a worn out saying, but there couldn't be more truth, you know, to, to working on these things and it beginning with the person in the mirror. I mean, it's just one, one relationship at a time. And, and in the book, I mentioned, you know, that uh, racism isn't contagious, but ignorance is. And I think if you, you lead by example, your friends will follow and your friends will follow and, you know, more people start spending time to, time together you know with each other hopefully in a, in a in a you know quote colorblind world but uh it's a process uh you know I, I just think we need to be everyone needs to be appreciative of the other persons or the shoes the other person lives in and only with that understanding and, and a willingness to to put yourself in those shoes uh i think that's the only thing that will help the, the world get better i mean from a racial perspective yeah people have to start listening to each other more too i think agreed Agreed. Uh, you know, you, you just mentioned spending time in prison. Um, you don't seem shy about it. Can you can you <laughs> talk? Can you tell me a little bit about how that affected you as a writer or changed you as a writer? That that's a great question. Um, you know, prison changed me as a writer. I think because it changed me as a person. And I think a lot of us, you know, get into these. You've got these daily routines. You, you wake up, you take a shower, eat breakfast, you kiss the kids goodbye. Come home, eat, and kiss the kids goodnight. Get up, and I'll do it. You know, do it all over again, almost uh, like an autopilot sort of way. And with that said, you know, prison is is one of those ex, you know experience or things I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But at the same time, there are a few things I trade the experience for because it really gave me the time. And time is a word I appreciate more than ever yeah. to realize what was missing in my life and the changes I needed to make. So, good question. I appreciate that. So, um, did, but did that change your subject matter of what you're writing about now? Um, I had actually, my first book I wrote was called The Reason, um, which pretty much revolves around, a, originally revolved around a magical character that shows up in a small town to help people with their problems. 
And prison gave me a, a more time to get a little more spiritual. So I, I put a spiritual twist on that story. And in terms of the subject matter uh, for this particular book, you know, Eric, you know, my, my friend, that uh, was my bunkie, came back one time. And I don't want this taken out of context. I think people know what I mean. And we got to the point where we could say whatever we wanted to each other, regardless of color, regardless of hurting anyone's feelings. But we were friends. And we knew that, that that really is what was important. He came back from the television room one night. In the television room in a prison, you've got your little headset and you go in, there's TVs all over the wall. And you kind of zoom in. It's quiet in there, but you're zooming into whatever channel you want to watch via your headset. And he came back one night and was telling me about something on BET. And I jokingly said to him, how come white people don't have their own BET? And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, you do. All of your, uh, all the channels except BET. Right. <laughs> I didn't really know how to take that at first, but he was, he was partially funny, partially being serious. Yeah. And then later that night, I told him, I, I go, well, what an impact, what he had said on, or what he said to me, had on me. But really, it was that night that I told him that uh, I would do my best to explain what I thought he meant by that. Hence, the, the modern day world where whites are the minority. Right. Well, I, I think it's a it's a great concept. And uh, congratulations on the book. Your, your first book, uh, The Reason, which you just mentioned, um is getting made into a movie right correct we're going through his final edit right now so so how has your experience been and 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 how can you talk a little bit about how it was uh seeing seeing your words put into the screen you know i I spoke with a lot of authors uh prior to the movie being made what was like and the emotions are a little bit of everything i think initially it's horrifying from the standpoint when you wonder what you and i just talked about a little bit ago uh, what they're going to do with your story and what will be cut and what will stay. But as the process went on and I watched the actors bring the story to life, uh, I mean, it's literally, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm super stoked uh, about the movie coming out, which should be sometime in the middle of next year. That's neat. That's so, so you, so you, did you feel that the story got elevated or is just, just a different experience? As um, I, would, I would say it's a different experience. Um, I couldn't be happier with the way the movie came out. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, obviously, because what we spoke about earlier, my books are normally, my first couple of books were on 400 pages, and that would translate into a movie that would require you know, a couple of intermissions. And I'm very pleased with with what they chose to keep and what they chose to get, ri- get rid of. But, you know, at the same time, as writers, we all think uh, you know, everything we write is, is you know, are pearls of wisdom. And uh, <laughs> But you, you hate to see anything go, but at the end of the day, you, you turn that stuff over to the people that know what they're doing, and, and fortunately, it worked out. Well, it's kind of, you know, in my experience in, in making films, it's kind of like it's a different process and each each layer changes it anyway. For example, when you're when you're writing is one thing when you when you see, you know, when you see a script translated uh, to a scene that you're blocking out uh, physically, some things don't translate and it has to be changed. And then again, when you're looking in the editing room and you see it there, it changes one more time completely. So it's a, it's, it's really a different medium. Yeah, this is like I said, this is something you have a lot more experience with than I than I do. But I was fortunate to be able to spend time with the screenwriter, and I actually partially co-wrote it with him. But uh, what was equally important to me is be able to spend time with the director before the movie is filmed and kind of share with you know or go back and forth in terms of what you see, how each scene playing out, if that makes any sense. When, when you write your books, are, are you a visual person? Do you see the, the movie as you're writing? Do you see it that way? Or yeah. um, 
How, that, how do you that, hear your voices? That, that is a great question. And I've talked about this with other authors. And it's funny. I figured all of us, you know, envisioned a, a movie as where, where we're writing. And when I write, I mean, the movie is literally playing in my mind. And I'm just writing what I see. I mean, so from that perspective, you know, uh, yes. But, you know, from why I'm writing, do I think it's ever going to be in theaters? I think most of us writer types are personally delusional and we <laughs> we all have aspirations of our stories hitting the big screen. How about you? I, You know, I am a visual person and I think because I, I've seen so many movies in my life and, and movies were probably my first love. I've always been a, an avid reader as well, but I just, uh, you know, fell in love with movies early on. And I, I do, I do think in pictures. So, um, more so than anything else, I, I know some writers are so descriptive in, in every other way and really write more internally. Um, and I, I, for me, the type of reader I am too, I like a good balance. I mean, I like, I, I, I don't like too much prose to be, uh, blunt. How long has the second sun been out now? A couple months? It was released. Uh, mid-August. Uh, have you had a chance to interact with any readers yet? Yes, I have. I've uh, been doing some signings and some book club events and things like that. So it really, and that's a great experience hearing what the readers have to say. Yeah. Are you getting any feedback on people being terrified of, of stalker coming to real life? I'm finding a lot of people have very, you know, odd experiences that they want to share about it. And, and some are fears and some are things that happen. So I think it did strike a, a little bit of a nerve in, in our everyday lives of people that have read it. Yeah. Do you see either of these becoming movies? Uh, I see either one can become movies. Um, uh, we've been getting some interest and I've had uh, um, Flamingo Coast, which isn't even out yet. I've had some interest in, in a TV series um, where I, I could understand why the, the main character could be serialized because she, uh, well, I, I don't want to ruin the ending, but <laughs> she could go from uh, another one of these events to, to the next. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what common themes do you see in, in your books? I don't. So, I, I, like I said, I'm on my third, and I would say each one has a very different theme. Um, but I, I, I think the common thing is that I start with a theme. So um, uh, the Flamingo Coast, for example, is... I think I think the uh, the biggest theme is is about second chances, Good. and um, I came to it from from two points. I, you know, I started I, it, it, this the idea evolved after the financial crisis actually, and I had a neighbor that um, did get uh, arrested and imprisoned for a financial crime, um, and I started also simultaneously hear about some of the things some of the government agencies were doing that were beyond the law in the name of justice. And I started to wonder what would make somebody want to become a, a IRS agent? You know, who wants to become an IRS agent? And, and one that has a vendetta and will, will break the law to, to find criminals. I thought that was interesting. And so I took, I took both sides and tried to put myself in both their shoes and said, what are their points of view and their backstories evolved and connected from there. And I thought that was interesting. So both of them crossed it within the theme of second chances, how they, how they would do things uh, differently. And, and in the end, after everything happens, how it's changed them. So 
I'm looking forward to you reading that book, actually. Basically, I'm looking, you know, I, I think uh, The Second Son would make an amazing movie, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading Flamingo Coast. Can you talk at all? Are you liberty to talk about uh, the bad guy in Flamingo Coast, the one that's being hunted down by the IRS agent? You talk a little Can bit I about, talk him, about him. him? Um, I actually cannot. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, and I and 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 a lot of a lot of the information I got is is based in real situations. A lot of the the backstories I used mm-hmm. um, because the backstories it, it all, the story takes place present day. But I yes. use the backstories of some financial criminal, one of the financial criminals in particular that crosses paths with the the heroine, and okay. um, those. Those backstories are based in in real stories that I got through through some um, high profile cases, but mostly from off the record conversations. And some people were so protective about the information they gave me, partially because there are a lot of people that are still affected and can still be affected by some some of these things that happen. And right. as you know, a financial crime is not anything that's simple and it usually affects a lot of people and some people that have not been caught yet. And right. um, people did want to talk to me, but um, <laughs> as long as I was sworn to secrecy. But what I really found fascinating about this is I, I was able to use a lot of reality and a lot of real cases and real details to, to color in this book, which is, of course, fiction. Okay. And I think it gives it a sense of reality. So uh, someone like you, uh, I, I think, would uh, be able to enjoy that, appreciate I'm, that. I'm de- definitely, I, as soon as you can get me a copy, I'd appreciate it. Let me know where I can get one. <laughs> I absolutely will. I'll send it to you. What's your favorite part about being a writer? It's not the seclusion. <laughs> I, you know, I think um, there, there's an element of me uh, personally that's that's introverted, uh, but I'm also an extrovert. So uh, when I was a filmmaker, as a director, uh, I was surrounded uh, by people constantly, and that's fun and it's social. I enjoy writing better because I find it more creative, and I find it um, you can create a whole world. And, and paint a whole picture, and I, I really love that, enjoy that, and enjoy it. But um, it does take a lot of discipline, and you do have to sit alone for at least I think at least five or six, seven hours a day, uh, you know, to make progress. I, I, I'm not that kind of writer where I can um, write sparsely. You would you would mention to me that you have a lot of projects going on at once. How do you do that? Uh, well, projects being different different story themes. You know, I just keep separate word documents, and you know, I. I I never really experienced writer's block because of that. I've always got something else I can get onto. And I try to do, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 words a day, and I'm not really good at always meeting my goal. I just do my best. But I just get back and forth from story to story, kind of have an idea of where I'm going with each story. And um, I, by working on different stories, it, it breaks up the monotony sometimes. And uh, I keep So how, how do you know when it's time to switch? Do you just get bored and then move on or switch and then come back? Or do you, you just uh, more- stay with a chunk of time? Most of these are in first drafts, and as you're well aware, first drafts are sometimes not even legible to the to the author. And you say that first first pass through, I just start throwing enough stuff at the wall, just whatever's on my mind, right, 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 right. And then uh, you know when you when it, you get to the point where you've just had enough of that for one day, on to the next thing. So, you ever find when you write for five or six hours that you're so immersed in the story that even when you turn the computer off, it takes a little while to get out of it, out of the story. 
Yeah, I do. And I, I get frustrated with myself because after five, six hours, that, that, I use that number because it's, it's my limit when my, my brain starts to feel like mush. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really, I am immersed and I want to keep going and I, and I just can't because I'm not thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's when I usually just say, you know what, just, just leave it alone and, and come back fresh. How about you? Yeah. I think another way I could answer your question earlier, uh, they just asked a little bit ago in terms of how do I know which story to skip to. I think it's when you get to that point where you're staring at the same page for 20 minutes. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of time to either get off or get under the, get under another story. So. And I'm always shocked when I pick it up the next morning, I, I look at I look at the work I did the day before and I'm like, why, why could I not see that last night? This oh, yeah. is so, it's so blurring and obvious. Yeah. Or, or what in the heck was I thinking when I was writing that? And, and that's the thing about books that, you know, it, it's such an immersive experience, but it, it almost, it's your, your book takes a certain amount of time to write. You can write really fast and you can write a first draft, like you just said, but to really finish it, you have to, you know, just redo it and look at it from every, every single angle over and over and over again until, until, you know, do you, do you ever have a, a, a time when you know when your project is done? Um, you know, I've got major OCD, and, and I kind of subscribe to the theory that stories are never finished. They're just abandoned. Yeah. Uh, and I think you go back, you look at books, there's always something you can make better. But you know, my, my, the Crown Lord, and I think we've put our best best foot forward, and I'm very, very happy uh, you know, with the way things have turned out. So are you working on anything new? I am. I'm working on a new book uh, uh, titled, it's a tentative title, uh, called Unmanned. Actually, I'm toying between two titles. One is called Line of Sight, and the other is Unmanned. Um, but it's uh, it has it has a little of uh, both of the books I you know we just talked about um, in, in that it, it has a, a little element of uh, technology that 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 triggers the inciting incident, uh, and uh, it also uh, touches upon the theme of uh, second chances. Uh, what about you? What are you working on? Uh, a bunch of different stuff. I'm just trying to get uh, get ready to hit the road for the crowd. We're going to wrapping up the final, well, the, the final steps of, of the Reason movie. Looking forward to that thing in theaters. Really, at the end of the day, I, I, I can't wait to get out there and interact with readers on my latest book. Really looking forward to it. And hopefully, I can make a difference in people's lives. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, FYI, getting sure it will, and I, I want to wish you all the luck in the world. It's a great book. Sam, do you? I appreciate it. And get, getting back to book titles, I, I, you could not have come up with a better book title than The Second Son for that book. Just congratulations. Oh, a great story. I know it's going to do well. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think people appreciate it when they when they get to the end and, and see why it's called, why it's really called The right. Second Son. But, yeah. You touch on it early in the book. Yes. Obviously, later, this uh, it comes full circle. And I set it up and then I pay it off. Yeah. Very well. Well, great chat with you, Marty. We'll see you soon, bud. You too. Take care, Bill. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye.